Hey everyone, welcome to this edition of Tech Investment Insights Executive Interview Series. Today we are greatly honored to be speaking with Anthony Scaramucci, currently managing partner at Skybridge Capital, which he also founded. He also previously served as the White House Communications Director last year, a Senior Vice President at the Export-Import Bank, as well as a, a large variety of other roles uh, in finance, uh, entrepreneurship, media, and, uh, and government. And so we are uh, greatly honored to be getting his uh, insights firsthand about the markets as well as a uh, broader uh, economy and world uh, today. And so thank you so much for joining us today, Anthony. Hey, great to be on your podcast. Uh, happy summer. Thank God. Right. We're finally in the summer. Oh, indeed. I mean, the, the weather has been volatile this past uh, these past few months, as have the, the markets, certainly, um, which leads us actually to to our uh, first question. So certainly 2017 saw a very strong growth in the markets, a uh, broad based uh, economic growth, uh, financial markets growth and relatively low volatility. Um, certainly for investors, we've seen how these past few months have been a big change in that. Uh, there's been much more volatility. Uh, the economy is still strong, many would say, but uh, the markets have been much more uh, turbulent. And so how do you, what, what do you think is the cause of that? And how do you think markets will continue to develop uh, as well as uh, across broader asset classes uh, over the remainder of the year? Well, I mean, it's interesting you say the, the low the low volatility because the low volatility is definitely uh, indicative of low interest rates, and so you've had ten years of a combination of a zero interest rate policy. Now you're in a low interest rate policy, and you had uh, you know almost five years worth of quantitative easing in the United States, and you're still getting some remnants of quantitative easing in Europe, and so all of that. Uh, spells low volatility, upward movement in price for assets. Because what do we know? We know that interest rates are the physical gravity of assets. And so now that you have interest rates starting a trend towards normalization, at least in the United States, you're going to have pockets of volatility in the markets. And so we've seen some of that this year. You know, there was a 10% correction in the market earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not clear to me that you won't have another 10% correction before the year's out. You've also got the... Uh, uh, we don't have a trade war yet, but we have trade war-like rhetoric, and so a trade war uh, would certainly hurt economic growth. So, so that that uncertainty is going to create more volatility in asset prices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly, as we have been uh, seeing in uh, recent uh, recent months, for sure. And so, beyond the uh, broader uh, public equity markets, uh, so you work to have worked a lot in the uh, alternative investments industry as well, and particularly uh, hedge funds. Uh, and uh, uh, various other alternative investments. And so that industry has uh, changed uh, significantly over the past few decades. I mean, once upon a time was a very esoteric industry, kind of like a closed off to the broader public um, for really those who really uh, had a, access and whatnot to that world. But now it's really become much more mainstream. Um, I mean, I think I saw they're even now releasing some kind of like alternative investment uh, mutual funds, which, you know, really is, you know, about as mainstream as I think possibly get. And so what do you think has been, why do you think uh, alternative investments has changed? How has it changed? And uh, uh, what do you think is the future of uh, the industry? Okay, so I mean, obviously, the the industry started, uh, you know, in the late '40s, but it really didn't start to hit its stride into the mid '90s, and so you're roughly 25 years into what I call the maturation of the industry, and so mm -hmm. it would make sense as you get into the quarter century mark that things start to feel more sedimentary and they start to feel more institutionalized, and so 
that's basically what, what's happened. And so there's a tale of two cities in the hedge fund industry. You know, it's the best of times for the top 100 hedge fund managers still, even though performance hasn't been great in the zero interest rate environment. And it's the worst of times for probably the other 9,000 hedge funds because uh, what we've discovered is that even 10 years after the financial crisis, people want size. Size does matter in our industry, uh, mm-hmm. continuity, institutionalization, etc. I think people are making a very big mistake, though, going into hedge fund mutual funds because uh, what I've learned in the 29 years that I've been on Wall Street is that things may sound sexy when you put the words together, uh, mm-hmm. but they don't work in practice. And so when you talk about liquid alts, that's mm-hmm. like pouring red wine vinegar on vanilla ice cream. Doesn't work. Doesn't taste well. And uh, and I look at the liquid alts market, and they've been trying with fits and starts in that market for a decade, mm-hmm. and it always has disastrous performance because you need duration to capture mm-hmm. alpha. And so so I predict that these uh, these mutual funds will be a fad for a little while, and then they'll mm-hmm. flame out like other liquid alt strategies have done over the last decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, gotta give the the industry props for you know constantly coming up with new uh, financial products ideas. But uh, indeed, as as many of those ideas that do well, such as ETFs in general, there's also many that uh, do not do well. And uh, yeah, I mean the the idea of a uh, liquid tradable private equity. I mean uh, investment product. I mean just it's an oxymoron almost in terms of terms. But uh, yeah, I mean certainly we'll. We'll see how how all of that develops. Maybe it'll be this decade's uh, this decade's uh, uh, contagion or something. Um, and so, I'm, well, I'm not, I mean, oh, just remember. I mean, just remember this. I mean, you know, at, at at the at the end of the day, um, people are always going to write an obituary about the hedge fund industry. Yet it marches on three plus mm-hmm. uh, trillion dollars in capital, uh, mm-hmm. and it'll certainly be higher a year from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I mean, people are always looking for new ways to try to uh, gain ground in the market. And so on a more uh, personal note, uh, so what drew you in particular to uh, the financial service industry? You've been in it for now about 30, 30 or so years, I believe. And so so what, what brought you into it? Money. You know, I was a poor kid growing up on Long Island. My parents were blue collar people. Um, I, I graduated from Tufts and Harvard Law School with six figures plus of school debt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided that I needed to make money. And so, uh, you know, I didn't have the, uh, um, you know, I didn't have the options. You know, I, t- I tell my kids that there's a paradox to choice. You know, they've got, uh, they grew up totally differently than me. And so they've got this whole multitude of different choices that creates the anxiety. I had no anxiety. I was on missile lock. I was going down to Wall Street and I was going to make myself some money. And so when I graduated from law school, I went to Goldman Sachs. After seven years there, I started my first hedge fund. You know, we had a uh, we had a hedge fund by the name of Oscar Capital. At that mm-hmm. time, the prices were one in twenty, so we had a one in twenty hedge fund. We got it up to uh, about mm-hmm. five six hundred million dollars in assets, mm-hmm. um, and then we paired it with a registered investment advisor, mm-hmm. and uh, and that did quite well. We ended up selling it to Newberger Berman, but mm-hmm. but I was motivated by money. I'd like to tell you all kinds of nonsense and esoterica and try to glorify uh, my intellect, but that's not really what I'm about. I needed to get out of debt and I needed to create some financial independence for myself and my family. Mm-hmm. Well, indeed, that's how the uh, free market and capitalism works. I mean, you know, we can live in the, the you know, fairy tale land or we can live in a world where money allows us to build our cities, create great products and 
get the world done. And yeah, I mean, the financial services industry, where the, where the money is, quote unquote. Um, and yeah, so, well, listen, I mean, also adding value. If you can add value in this okay. industry, and you know, I, I love all the critics that pretend that we're not adding value, but we've added a tremendous amount of value and results of which we've been able to, uh, you know, we got a, we got a ton of clients. We have over 41,000 clients at Skybridge. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, they're, 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 they're not here for any other reason than the performance. You know, we're not stupid to that. And so we're myopically focused on it. Oh yeah, I mean the, the market speaks volumes, and uh, the fact that clients uh, stick with a institution or advisor, you know, shows they they believe in it. I mean, when people when people put their money where their mouth is, that you know that's a sign of confidence. Um, and, and so, so you mentioned this before as well, talking about how the uh, the global uh, current uh, terrorist rhetoric conflict that you describe it well uh, has been causing some of the market volatility, and so indeed that's been what's been dominated the headlines. Um, and so the the various uh, trade uh, uh, disputes with uh, Canada, Europe, China, etc. And so, I mean, so what do you think is behind all of that? And like, what do you, where do you think that's going to uh, end up, uh, uh, either in the short term or long term? Well, okay, we, we, I think we have to explain to your listeners some historical context, though. So the United States, in framing the post-World War II order, did two uh, seismically different things. The first one they did was they they instituted infrastructure spending outside of the United States in the form of the Marshall Plan. And so this was like the first time in history that a vanquishing nation repaired and refortified its former enemy and the vanquished. And so uh, that process, that $13.7 billion, which is probably like $170 billion of today's money, uh, was unheard of. The second thing that we did was we uneven the trade deals across the board with every nation. Uh, developing nations and undeveloping nations got a free ride into the United States on their goods and services, and we accepted embargoes and taxes and tariffs and quotas, uh, and we did that because we wanted to create a rising, interdependent, uh, burgeoning middle class, which we thought would lead to less global conflict. All of that worked very successfully, but it has had the deleterious outcome of weakening our manufacturing base, and it weakened wages for middle and lower middle class families. And so the president's just merely saying to people, hey, 75 years, go look for these trade deals. They're all uneven to the U.S. I understand why we did that. I think it was a very good strategy at that time. But if you really want to increase aggregate demand in the society and increase disposable income, mm-hmm. which will be the next leg up for global growth and global opportunity, you got to help America's uh, uh, breadbasket because this is uh, 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 still 23, 24% of the world's GDP, but it is a consumption center for the world. And so we have to raise wages for those people. And so this dilemma is causing the president to use the tariff side of his weaponry as a cudgel in the negotiations. And so since these nations have been used to having this uneven trade situation for 70 plus years, they're reluctant to want to go to something that's fair or or is offering more symmetry to the U S. Um, and so, um, if the president would explain it the way I just explained it to you, I think it would go much Mm -hmm. further than tweeting about it or snippeting about it because his adversaries are then going to say, no, 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 this Mm -hmm. is a trade war. No, no, no. He's trying to, uh, 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 cause a rise in protectionism, and he's trying to reset things that happened in the 
last global depression. And so he's clearly not trying to do that if you're really following closely. So what I'm hoping is is that cooler heads will prevail and our trading partners, including China, will reduce their their tariffs and and will allow our goods and services to flow more freely into their countries. If that happens, it'll be very good for the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, ideally, uh, yeah, I think everyone wants a rising tide for for all situation. And uh, indeed, international economics, uh, I mean, financial markets are com- complex enough on their own, but uh, international trade and economics, so we brand, you know, history and many countries and all the different markets, it's a... Uh, it's very hard to fit that into 140 characters for sure, um, and and so so I mean so beyond the the trade conflict, there's also a lot of other things currently going on in the past few months uh, in the world. We've seen uh, some uh, uh, euro worries spike up again in uh, Europe with uh, with Italy. Um, you know that's been uh, seemingly tamed down recently as well. Um, we've seen oil bouncing around uh, out of its. Uh, uh, downturn for the past few years. Um, and as you talked about before, uh, in terms of the Federal Reserve, um, we've begun seeing them uh, increasing rates to a more uh, significant level now. And so so what, what, what do you think would be the impact of all these other factors going on right now? Do you th- which ones do you think uh, matter? Which ones might not matter? Uh, and what, so what, what do you think is going on with all of that? Well, I mean, listen, I mean, here, here I mean, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, um, if we're doing the right things. I mean, I guess ultimately, here's the big problem in the world. I mean, just stepping back uh, at the high end, um, the people that own the assets, if they're earning income, they're basically now minority partners in their own lives, meaning the government is taking 53, 54% of their treasure. And so what, 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 what's causing the problems right now is that the governments have not really been held super accountable uh, for uh, what they're doing with the money. And so if you go to Italy, as an example, um, it's actually a very reasonably strong, particularly in northern Italy, a reasonably strong industrial economy. The problem is that they've misspent a tremendous amount of money. And so their playbook, most of the southern European economies' playbook is to devalue. Uh, and in the process of devaluing, um, they create more slack and they, they, they create more inflation, which helps them monetize uh, the debts that they're carrying. And so when you're trapped in the fixed rate of exchange mechanism, also known as the euro, it's very hard for those countries. It's been an unbelievable beneficiary to Germany. Germany has basically gotten effectively a 20% discount on their currency over the last quarter century. So, you know, if we had gone to a Deutschmarkified world, as an example, uh, there's no way Germany could be exporting what they're exporting because the Deutschmark would be 20% higher than where the euro's trading. So, so you, you've got a very big dilemma. What we know historically, studying 5,500 years of history, is that fixed exchange rates never last. And uh, since they were never able to integrate the fiscal side and integrate themselves on a national level, effectively becoming what Churchill wanted, a United States of Europe, uh, by not being able to do that, um, you've got a fixed exchange rate mechanism and an uneven fiscal situation, and that will eventually breach. And so um, unless Germany's willing to subsidize these southern countries, in order to get that 20% discount on the currency for themselves, uh, you know, we're going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. I, 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 uh, absolutely have a problem. 
Yeah, indeed. And that's why, you know, even uh, years after Greece, we see Europe still in uh, great turbulence over uh, the currencies and other uh, uh, government debt situations. And so it's certainly sort of be a very interesting to see how, how all of that develops. Um, and so uh, as one of our, our last questions, and so so the, the world, there's a lot going on right now. And so um, which part, is there, if you had to name one um, sector or asset class or um, or country that you think is particularly uh, worth watching right now in terms of how it develops uh, and grows uh, financially. Um, wh- which one or or ones would you pick? So you you mean country or or company? Um, I guess could be anything. Uh, any potential okay. investment opportunity. Or, so, or, so, or so, so 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 to me. Um, I'm, I'm a very big believer in balanced portfolio construction, and I'm a very big believer. And I tell, you know, I've worked with wealthy individuals for 30 years, and I tell them, listen, I've got two words for you. Um, I can get your whole investment plan and your whole investment thesis down to two words, and those two words are, stay wealthy. You're wealthy. Stay wealthy. Okay, and the way you stay wealthy is you have a diversified asset allocation program, mm-hmm. and you're looking for a targeted rate of return in this interest rate environment of a six seven, mm-hmm. and and to me the most attractive opportunity right now is in the structured credit markets. It's in the trust preferred securities for these community banks. It's in the world of direct lending. Uh, and large jumbo loans from banks and things like that. They offer the most stability and they offer the least level of correlation. Um, and so if you look at Skybridge's performance over the last two years, you know, our sharp ratio is very high and our volatility, I think we have like a 1.3, 1.4 volatility over the last two and a half years. We've, we've uh, in 18 months, we've had a 14.5% net return. Um, and we're doing that in a rising interest rate environment. And so so I would prefer to be very defensive now uh, because I do think even though bull markets and uh, uh, economic uh, growth uh, doesn't end due to old age, we're getting long enough in the cycle, long enough in the tooth of the cycle, and we're getting back to a pattern of interest rate normalization uh, where I think that I would rather be in things that are less correlated to the stock and bond market. And so that's really where we're, where we're, we're placing our bets right now. And that's really where the bulk of my money is. And, you know, mm-hmm. my money, uh, I'm a firm believer in this. I've never had a trading account and my money is a hundred percent in the fund or it's in my, uh, in the two houses that I own. Mm-hmm. So, so for, for me, um, I, I like the structured credit market more than I like my houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed, it makes sense. I mean, everyone tries to, you know, beat the market, but but yeah, studies have shown the best is uh, diversification, and uh, yeah, I mean, staying staying wealthy, I guess. Um, and so, and so stay I, wealthy, man. That's yeah, the goal, indeed. And so, that's our uh, final question, uh, very very briefly. Um, and so, as a complete uh, opposite from you know safe and diversified investing, uh, the cryptocurrency world has been a complete mess the past few months the past year everything i mean of all you know crazy absurd mm-hmm. markets out there i mean the technology itself still is developing but um in terms of the the quote-unquote assets invest investment i mean that's a regulatory legal financial everything mess um what's mm-hmm. your br- brief take on anything about that world <laughs> 
Um, well, I would I would caution investors, even hedge fund investors, in that market because uh, the volatility is such, and unfortunately, there's a there, no matter how much research you're doing, there's a lack of understanding and there's a lack of trajectory understanding. Moreover. Uh, anytime you have this deus ex machina, this god in the machine that could be governmental regulation or some kind of governmental eventual interference, uh, for me, I would be super worried. You know, and so what I what I would tell people: be careful. Um, it's not an asset class that I like to be a part of. I've said to people that it would be way better. Uh, it, it's always a sign of foundation. It's always a sign that things are getting more seasoned when you end up with an index. Um, and so, um, you know, there was an internet index. There was a, it became part of the NASDAQ eventually. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, they had the Dow Jones Industrial Averages and so on and so forth. And so until the crypto develops a mature tradable index, I think you've got a lot of volatility and you've got a lot of things to be frightened of in that space. And so I would caution people because, let me tell you something, there's so many different ways to make money. Don't chase the tulip bulb of crypto uh, until it becomes more mature, until we can figure out who the winners and losers are really going to be. Yeah, indeed. And certainly uh, uh, investors who have uh, tried to chase that bulb the past uh, year have uh, gotten, many have gotten for, for, pretty bad. So. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the, the Bitcoin has been a disaster in the last six months. Yeah, I mean, no other asset class will <laughs> drop that fast. But, uh, yeah, certainly a lot of exciting things happening in the, the markets, economy, and uh, world in general. So thank you so much, uh, Anthony Ascaramuti, for uh, sharing my, your, your uh, insights with my, us. Uh, my pleasure. Stay wealthy, my brother. Stay wealthy. Me. That is the number one thing that you need to tell people. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and I... And if you're not wealthy, uh, build yourself a savings plan and put it in the markets and dollar cost average it, and then you'll get wealthy. Okay, and that's how I did it. So I would recommend that to others. Indeed, uh, wise and uh, experienced advice. So thank you so much again. All right, all the best. Bye-bye.